Turn with me to the gospel according to Luke, please. We are in chapter 10. Chapter 10. Making a mess. And I will tell you that chapter 10, as, we, as Pastor Chris read for you, um, 25 and following, has been a difficult, it's a difficult passage for me uh, to preach, because I'm Martha. So I, I'm going to try to really be not biased uh, in trying to interpret this text, because um, I feel bad for her. Uh, this is one of the texts of Scripture that you have to read over and over again because there are, there are things going on, literary features uh, that are going on. You've got to dig really deep not to miss anything what's going on. Really get a, an accurate picture of what is going on in the text. Um, but before we get into the text, I think it's good to look at the greater context of what we've been saying all along. Um, I'm a little loud back here, Chris uh, Reynolds. Okay, cool. He's going We've worked together, 20 years we've been here together, so he knows me. Um, we've been witnessing that Jesus now is, is walking, we're following him, he's, he's intentionally making disciples. Uh, he's been announcing the kingdom of God is at hand because King Jesus is here, um, and, and he's declaring and demonstrating his kingly authority and power over disease, defilement, and death itself. He's calling everyone to repent and believe the gospel and to follow him. Now, as we're studying the gospel according to Luke, some of you may hear the word gospel, um, and if you're like me, I come from a Roman Catholic tradition in the background, my background, Roman Catholic. Uh, when, you, when you hear the word gospel, you right away think of the four accounts of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a reading from one of those accounts, and that's true, but that's not the whole story. So I just want to spend a couple of minutes here talking about the word gospel of the Greek noun euangelion, it is a word that means good news, as you heard before. Uh, the verb is used over 50 times. The noun used over 70 times. It's either used in a noun as just being good news, meaning an announcement uh, of good news. It was used technically of a message of victory in those days. Euangelion, a message of good news that brought great joy. The verb is used as someone. It comes actually from the Greek word angelos, meaning messenger of good news. It's used of a messenger that would come that would bring news, sometimes political news, sometimes private news, sometimes uh, from an army of, of wonderful good news of great joy. Therefore, we have to understand that the, that the word gospel or the good news of the gospel um, is, not, is not a suggestion. It's not, a, it's not a, um, uh, some sort of advice for the future and how somehow we should walk in it or somehow get some advice about moving forward. That's not what the gospel, the gospel is not advice. The gospel, the evangelon, is, is the good news. It's an announcement, announcement of victory, a declaration of something that has already happened that we now need to respond to. That's different than advice. That's different than suggestions. Okay, so it was someone in those days would bring good news, a euangelos, a, a, a messenger of good news. They, they, would, they would come back to a city that maybe was getting ready to be besieged, and it was an oncoming army to take the city, and the king would send people out and to stop that rushing army from coming in and destroying the city. And then this good news messenger would come back to the city if he had won the battle, with good news of great joy that the battle has been won. We have fought the enemy. Now the, the city is safe. They could have joy in the streets. 
That's the good news. And the good news of the gospel, the message that we must respond to, is that God has created us, mankind, in his likeness and image, image and likeness, the the imago Dei, as, as worshipers who are in communion with their creator, worshiping a holy and good God. We see that in Genesis. But man sinned and rebelled against God, and the penalty of that sin is death. Death and separation, returning back to to the ground which we started from, and it's alienation. We see that earlier. God kicked them out of the garden. It's alienation from this holy and perfect God because we've sinned. And rather than God just sitting back in his throne saying, you know what, you guys really made a mess. Look how messed up you are. Find your way home. God himself enters into human history in the person of Jesus Christ. And he, the Son of God, died for our sins, rose again, and eternally triumphed over our enemies. Now there is no judgment, there is no condemnation for those who believe there's only everlasting joy and peace and hope. That's the gospel. That Jesus Christ, through a totally sinless life, suffered on behalf of sinners. Sinners like you and me. He bore the wrath and just penalty for our sins, and he defeated death and hell. And now... He, he did this so to satisfy the demands of God, the, the holy, righteous, good justice of God. And in his atoning sacrifice and subsequent resurrection from the dead, it results in salvation for those who repent, turn from their sins, and believe the good news. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I want to remind you of the good news, the, the event that's taken place that has already been done for you. I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you that you received, good news to be received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. He's saying, I hope you didn't believe this in vain. He says, I delivered to you as the first importance what I received, that Christ Jesus died. He already did. He died for our sins according to the scripture. And he was buried. Something already happened. And he was raised on the third day, according to the scripture. It's an event that took place, good news to be declared. So when Jesus comes on the scene, as we've been noticing in, 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 um, in Luke's, in the account of Luke's gospel, and he comes on the scene and he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Actually, that's in Mark, but that's, that's what Jesus has been saying. It's not advice to be considered, it's news, it's a factual event that took place, so that you will receive it. You must receive it and believe it with total trust and reliance upon. It has happened, and it's news to be declared. The oncoming enemy of sin, death, and hell has been defeated. It already happened. Our response is to respond to the good news of the kingdom of God. King Jesus come. He lived that required perfect life that we couldn't live. He was crucified in our place as an atonement for our sins. He rose from the dead in three days. And he calls everyone everywhere to repent and believe the good news, the announcement of the gospel. Have you responded to the good news? Are you here? You come each week, but have you responded with faith and trust and a reliance upon Christ? Have you and I yielded our whole self to King Jesus, who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords? He's the Savior of the world. I hope so. That's what we're all about here. Pastor Ricky mentioned it. And when you do and you, you, you repent from sin, you turn, you're a disciple of Christ, and now you are walking and following Jesus. And that's what we've seen happening with Jesus throughout this account. Uh, of Luke, he, people are repenting, 
people are believing, people are trusting, and now they're following Jesus, walking with Jesus. He's been teaching them. He's been teaching us what it means to be a disciple. What it, we said what that means for us, is not, it's not our decision. We don't come to our teacher, our learner, as a learner, and, and say, hey, this is what it looks like to follow. You know, Jesus says, this is what it looks like to follow me. And by grace and mercy and by the love of God, we are his disciple. And he says, we must reorient our whole life around Christ and the mission. If anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. We see this priority that Jesus has been pointing to. Chapter 9, verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And then chapters 8 and chapter 9, he's teaching his disciples not only about priority, but about mission. And how the seed of the gospel is sown in different soils. And how we to be the light that are, that are not hidden, but are high up uh, on, on a, on a lampstand. He sends the 12 out on mission, declaring and demonstrating the gospel. He sends uh, the 72 out, declaring the, the gospel. And what we've seen over and over are that these disciples, and I laugh because it would be me, it would be you too, they just keep needed, needing to be reminded not to be judgmental, not to argue who's the greatest. Right? Remember, they want to call fire down from heaven and just consume the Samaritans. And in order to drive that point home about priorities and about loving and, and, and um, uh, declaring and demonstrating the gospel with love and good deeds, we saw last week um, the Good Samaritan. What it means, not only, not only who is our neighbor, we saw that last week, but what it means to be a good neighbor and, and, and ultimately what it, what's needed to recognize, what we need to recognize that we need to rely on God's grace. That's what we saw in that text. We need to rely upon the grace and mercy of God, not our own moral goodness and somehow we can earn eternal life. That was the question that was asked. So as we get into this text, I know it's a long way in, but um, we get into this text, we should recognize that Jesus is continuing to, to disciple and to teach and to show what it means to be a follower of Christ, about love and about priority and about discipleship. Continuing here, Jesus brings up Martha and Mary, the story of Martha and Mary, two ladies. Now, it's not just for them. It's not like, all right, guys, we could just check out. This is about two women. No, this is a, this is a principle for all disciples, all followers of Christ. So we're all going to learn, hopefully, something, have some fun with this text. So as we look at just a short few verses, we're going to see the family. Um, we're going to see this frustration. I'm going to get that right because I, I say it kind of funny usually. Frustration. No, it's frustration with an R. Um, and the focus, where the focus needs to be. So that's, that's, that's where we're headed this morning. So let's look at verse 38 together. Now, as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, we know from John, the gospel according to John, that the village that they entered into was Bethany. Bethany was where Martha and Mary lived. It was about two miles right outside of Jerusalem. It was actually on the way to Jericho, that treacherous road that we heard about in the Samaritan parables, right past the Mount of Olives, just right outside Jerusalem. We know, according to John, that these two nice ladies had a brother. His name was Lazarus. Lazarus is the one that Jesus went to see after being dead for four days. The Bible says, or King James, he stinketh in the grave. And he raised him to life. We know the story. 
became a regular home. I think Jesus stopped there often in Bethany as we read the scriptures. They were his friends. It says they loved him. He loved them. And if you notice, Luke doesn't really give us the location of that, being Bethany, we see it in John. It's because Luke's point has nothing to do with location. It has everything to do with what happened in that day, in that event. That's the highlight. The first thing I want us to notice this morning, I think it's important, is that who is the one that, uh, who's the one that welcomes Jesus into their home? Look at the text. Martha. Like I said, she can get a bad rap as we unfold this story. But it's very important to notice that she is the one that says she opened up her home. Right? Um, she's most likely the old, older sibling. Um, she, her name is first. Uh, it, it says it's her home. Welcome into her house, if you notice that. Um, so she, she's, she's welcoming Jesus. She knows he's on mission. She has a heart of love. I think her heart is open to Jesus, open to the disciples. She's willing to open up her home so as Jesus is, is fulfilling his mission, declaring and demonstrating the gospel, the king is here. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, if you remember, we've been, as we've been studying, we saw the 12 apostles being sent out on mission, demonstrating and declaring the gospel. And then we saw the 72 in chapter 10 being sent out on mission as well. And what did we learn? What did Jesus teach his disciples as they went out? One of the things he said is, when you go to the house in these villages, declaring the gospel, enter into there and don't depart. Stay in that house only if it's a welcoming party, right? Only if there's peace in the home. If they welcome you, stay there, he said. Let them provide for you. As you declare the gospel in the village, come back to that house that the son of peace, he says in actually chapter 10, is there your peace will rest upon them. But if not, if, if they kick you out of the house, they kick you out of the village, they kick you out, they don't want you there. If they don't receive you, he says, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. This act of Martha in verse 38 is the very thing Jesus told his disciples what to look for in a city, in a village. To seek a welcoming invitation and settle there for ministry. That's verse 38. So here they are in the village of Bethany, invited into Martha's home. And you cannot miss the fact, that the point that we're going to learn, that these two sisters are completely opposite. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. They were opposites. Do you have any siblings that are opposite? Do you have any kids that are opposite? Yes, we do. There are opposites. Um, they, you, know, you can't miss it. Like You got that firstborn, right? Needs to have everything in its place and a place for everything. Neat. Everything where it needs to go. Then you got the other sibling or maybe a, a child, a brother or sister that doesn't care where anything goes. Clothes on the floor, no schedule to follow. And if you're a Martha, that drives you crazy. That's Mary and Martha. It could have been Joe and Jim, but it's Mary and Martha in our text. Not about man and woman, but the comparisons of personalities. One sibling, as they're walking through the, you know, the, 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 the flower beds, they're, they're sniffing and they're smelling and they're looking at all the flowers, and the other one's cutting them down, putting them in a vase, and putting it in their house. Like, that's the two siblings here. And we are one or the other. I'm Martha. I'll tell you that right now. 
I have, on, gone, I have to-do lists everywhere. I got one that's been ongoing for years. I take stuff off, I write stuff on. Maybe that's you. And to be honest, if you're a Mary, you drive me crazy. And if you're a Mary, I drive you crazy. That's what families do. That's what we're made for, to drive each other crazy, whether it's biological or here in our spiritual home in our church. Because if you're working with a Mary and you're a Martha, you're constantly thinking, we just need to get this done, let's get it done, stop thinking about it, start doing it. And if you're a Mary and you're working with Martha, you're thinking, what's the rush? I only want to do this once. Let's think about this first. I think Mary and Martha, Martha and Mary, wanted to honor the Lord. And if you're here this morning just to say, like, I'm not sure which one I am, you're Mary, because every Martha knows who they are. <laughs> I'm just saying. Both sisters wanted to, learn, wanted to honor and serve the Lord. They just did it differently in distinctive ways. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming down the road to her village, she, she, you know what she was thinking? Oh, man, I got to get the house clean, Right? I got to get in order. I got to be able to feed all these people to come. What are we going to do? I got a lot of people and not a whole lot of time. They're headed this way. I've got to cook, bake, clean. I, you know, I got to get things in order and get ready. And after several hours of getting busy and staying busy in preparation, Jesus shows up at the house. They welcome him in. And there's your sister, gentle, relaxed, not a care in the world, no rush Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet. And your head just goes, boom. Martha's getting ready to feed Jesus. Mary's sitting at his feet. Now, what we also need to observe, which is very important in this text, is that women did not sit at the feet of rabbis. They just didn't. Male and female, very, very distinct division, even in the home. All right, they didn't intermingle. They, they crossed over when women would serve the men and, and kind of, that's just the way it was in that day. But Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, Luke is showing us, communicating to us that she's a disciple. She's a learner. She's a follower of Jesus. This itinerant rabbi, teacher, preacher has a woman sitting at his feet. And that was culturally very uh, taboo, if I can use that term. Paul says that when he was brought up in Jerusalem, he sat at the feet of the very famous rabbi Gamaliel in Acts 22. In fact, Mary is a reflective verb which means that she herself sat down at his feet. To sit at someone's feet implies not only attentiveness, but also submission. Again, in those days, theology, discipleship was mainly for men, not for women. It was unheard of and prohibited in Judaism for them to be instructed at the feet of the rabbis uh, about learning about the Torah and stuff of that nature. But Jesus breaks all kinds of molds, man. We need to see that. Even with the, the Samaritan, when he talks about who's a good neighbor and what kind of good neighbor she, they, you know, that was, one thing about Jesus we can say, he didn't emulate culture and do what everybody around him was telling him to do. He didn't escape culture and say, you know what, I don't even want to get involved. Let me just mind my own business. Jesus took the word of God, the mission of God, and he engaged the culture with the cause of the gospel. And that's what we see here. That's what we see here. Mary listening intently to the word of God being taught through the lips of Jesus our Lord. Passionate learner disciple. There are a lot of people in that day, I'm sure, that wanted to sit at Jesus' feet, but he chose and allowed 
Mary, honored student. And I know that doesn't seem like, you know, in our, in our day, in our culture, but understand how impressive or how important it was in that day as Jesus, as Mary is seen here getting formal training, formal ministry training than Jesus Christ himself. You just don't see that in those days. Women of ministry have been a source of contention in many churches, or I should say some churches, maybe a church you were involved in. I don't know. But praise God, we don't, we don't have that issue here. We don't have that issue here. Jesus thought it was important to teach women about discipleship and teach them sound theology as men and women learn what it means to know God, to love God, to worship God, and we both need spiritual and biblical knowledge. And we see that in this text. So just because Jesus, and I want to say this before we move on, just because Jesus did not call one of the ladies to be one of his 12 apostles or that the fact that Paul taught that men are to lovingly shepherd and lead the church, men only, does not in any way, shape, or form denigrate or disregard or dishonor or disrespect women at all. Here we see Mary is welcome in the very intimate place at the feet of Jesus hearing his teaching. Then comes the frustration. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha is always volunteering, right? Wants to make sure everything gets done. Loves to show hospitality. In fact, if you're a Martha, you could point to all kinds of biblical texts saying this is what God wants. Romans, seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So is it wrong then that Martha was exercising the, this gift of hospitality to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, to make him to, to, to serve his disciples? Of course not. In fact, I, Jesus visited at home, and I would not be surprised. I mean, I don't know this. I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe he, had, maybe, maybe he was there so often because, you know what? He could really relax there. He could take off his sandals, put his feet up, and relax. Months of ministry, weeks, months of ministry, grueling, grueling schedule. Maybe they, they were such good hostess. He's like, let's go. I know where. I got to need some rest. I'm going to Martha and Mary's house. I, I could relax there. I don't know. But he's there. Time to relax. But here lies the problem that Luke shows us. She's distracted by, and what distracts her keeps her away from what's most important. Martha's people like her and me, we, we appear happy when we serve others, but when we look around sometimes, our joy becomes bitterness. And now rather than focus on what is most important, she begins using her gift for the wrong reason with a bad attitude. In fact, the word distracted uh, means being pulled away by something. It actually has also the connotations of being distracted because you're, you're overburdened. Right? The situation is, is, is i got to get this done, and I'm being overburdened by it. I'm being pulled away from what needs to be done and what, what I want to be done. This implies that Martha was doing uh, uh, was d her doing or wanting to do one thing, but ended up being pulled away and doing something else. So her, her devotion and, and service to the Lord is the very thing that actually twisted her perspective on her serving the Lord. 
the very thing she wants to do, everything she's capable of doing, everything she's really gifted to do, kind of distracted her from this. In verse 39, I think this is interesting. If you have a King James Bible, they pick up this, this Greek word. Commentators are, are not sure about it, but I think it's, it's worthy to be said. In verse 39, it says that at some point, Mary and Martha were sitting both at Jesus' feet. Now, listen to what the King James Bible says. And she, Martha, had a sister called Mary, which also sat, that's that word also, sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So, so interpreters and commentators are not quite sure, but it seems to be that there was, there was some interaction between Martha and Mary with Jesus. So first, being interested in doing things for the right reason, motive and attitude, she gets distracted and turns her attention away from what's most important, and her attitude and her motives become twisted. She's distracted. So we want to serve, be devoted, and honor the Lord by working with our hands, but then what happens is that we, our attention turns away, and we find ourselves serving, but serving not in a very attractive way. Let's be honest. This is hard for me. <laughs> Martha's types can be a little impatient with people. No, not me. Yeah, you. Charles Spurgeon. Her fault was not that she served. The condition of a servant well becomes every Christian. Her fault was that she grew cumbered with much serving so that she forgot him, Jesus, and only remembered the service. Martha's ministry was keeping her from Jesus. Everybody said, ouch. So for, for the Marthas out there, it's imperative that we keep our focus on the Lord and our hearts set on the gospel. If we start looking around and see what everybody else is not doing, we can easily become not only distracted but bitter and prideful in our service. I mean, look how much I'm doing. No one's doing anything. All right? We lose the joy and service. We become cranky or irritable or, in my case, more cranky and more irritable. Uh, and it leads to a pity party, right? It happen, could happen. And all the Marthas again say, no, not me. Yeah, you. Look what it says. And she went up to him and said, this is to the Lord. Don't you care? Don't you care that my sister left me to, left me to serve alone? Just tell him to help me. Tell him to get up. I need a hand. And Martha gets it right. She calls him Lord. That's a good start. It goes south from there. Yeah, real quick. I mean, how, how many ladies have felt something like that, right? I mean, you serve your family, you love your family, you got a lot going on, you kind of don't get a lot of gratitude and thanks, which we should be better at. And then you're wondering, you know, does anybody care? Does God really care what I'm doing? The answer, of course, is yes. He cares very much. You see what's happening to Martha and the good she's doing by, by serving the disciples and Jesus? I mean, dinner's coming, they need a place to relax, they need something to eat. It only happened if she prepares, she knows that. So the issue is not serving the Lord with her hands, but this, what happens to the, to the heart for those that are like Martha. They can become resentful. No one ever helps. You know, outwardly, sometimes we, we look good, worshiping the Lord, serving the Lord, but sometimes inwardly we're, you know, we're, 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 we become bitter, we become resentful, burned out, frustrated. And it comes out in complaining attitudes. And then we say silly things like, Jesus, don't you care at all? 
No, Jesus didn't care at all, right? That's why he's on his way to Jerusalem, to be rejected, hated, betrayed, beaten, abandoned, crucified on a cross, paying the penalty for our sins, bearing the wrath we deserve for the sins of the world, but no, I don't care. We felt that way as we served the Lord, that no one cares, but the Lord does care. We don't want to get to that woe is me, and I think that's what's happening. We, we, you know, I'm the only one dependable. I'm the only faithful one, right? And it can lead a heart to resentment. He tells, you know, tell her to help me. Kent Hughes <laughs> writes something. Uh, let, me, let me read it to you. It, it's a funny, uh, not funny, it's sad because it's talking about me. But anyway, uh, there's a tendency for people who are, who are wound tight like Martha to give everything to their particular area of calling or interest and to allow that interest to so dominate their lives that they have little time to let God's word speak to them. Without the benefit of the word, they adopt a mindset of, mindset of narrowness, judgmentalism, or fault-finding, and eventually the creativity and vitality that they once gave to their area of ministry sours, end quote. Ouch. So Martha's frustrated. Mary's sitting at the feet. Martha's frustrated with the selfishness of Mary, and then she's mad at God because he's not doing enough. And as the story goes... If, if looks could kill, you can only imagine, it's not hard, the damage she would do with the look she gave, right? She's in the kitchen, she's banging pots, it's really loud. She comes out with the silverware, she throws it on the table, glares at her sister, go back in here, more pots banging. Let me say something, maybe a little difficult, but I say it in love and unnecessary. As I remind myself, it is right and good for Martha to, to take her responsibilities, I think. Seriously, we should. But because we are hands-on in our worship of God, our devotion to God, we can easily become, either consciously or subconsciously, think that Christ needs me. I'm indispensable to the program, to the mission. Hmm. God doesn't need me or you to do his work. It's by grace that we get to serve him. And yes, he can get things done with or without you. Listen, it is a joy and a great, great privilege to serve the Lord. Amen. For his glory and for the salvation of his people. But we ought to take our work seriously. But sometimes we take ourselves too seriously. There's a difference. And sometimes we can corrupt our service when we over, over, overestimate our importance in the mission. He's God, we're not. So we need to keep that in mind. Lastly, the focus. But the Lord answered to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One of the things I don't think we need to read into this story, and this is kind of a Western mentality, is there, you know, Martha's good, Mary's bad. Mary's good, Martha's bad. There's a villain, hope to get it at the end, and there's the hero and the champion. I think we've got to be really careful. I don't know about pitting the two ladies against each other is a good idea. Is it better to pray, to read, or is it better to serve? I don't think that's what's going on. Notice Jesus does not take sides. He doesn't send Mary into the kitchen. Go help your sister. He doesn't tell Martha, stop, stop, sit down and be quiet, sit at my feet. What do we make of the story? Notice first Jesus' response to Martha. When you see a double address like that, Martha, Martha, it's there for a reason. 
is to show and indicate a heart of love and compassion and concern and care. It's not Martha, Martha. It's Martha, Martha. That's important. Yeah, she's anxious and troubled about many things, but Jesus approached to her, and he does this in John 11, too, with the resurrection of, of Lazarus, when Lazarus raised from the dead. Um, approached her as one of love and compassion and gentle instruction. We need to hear that this morning. It's out of love for Martha that Jesus gently corrects her. He's not so much condemning her. You know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is in love and compassion, inviting her in to show her what's most important. He does that by identifying part of the issue of anxiety. Philippians 4 says, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and... Therefore, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, the gentleness of Christ. Oh, the gentle heart of Jesus that corrects us even when we think everything's going right, yet we're still wrong. Martha, I'm sure, intended to to show Jesus, I'm sure, love by serving him, but she neglected him by doing it. That became her distraction. And her attitude, that's what's the concern. You're anxious and troubled about many things, verse 42, but one thing is necessary. Some of your versions say needed. One thing is needed. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen a good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I'm not going to stop her. So no, I'm not concerned about your sister not helping you. And I'm not going to tell your sister to, to, to help you, for she knows what is needed. She has chosen what? The good portion. The better, the best part. Word better literally means good. Not used so much in contrast, a sense of good and bad, but a comparison of the two. Not condemning her activity, he's commending Mary's choice. The one thing is needed, the one thing is better, is sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to the word of God. Remember, Jesus has been teaching his disciples what it means to walk with him and by making him and the gospel First priority. Want to follow Jesus, learn from Jesus, live on mission with Jesus, serve others like the good Samaritan who must first sit at his feet. There's a need to focus on what's most important. For though serving is good, sitting at Jesus' feet is better. And the phrase good portion is an interesting phrase. It's used in a figurative way, meaning the right meal. What feeds the soul is more important than what feeds the body. Jesus said that in Matthew 4. Quoting Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Unfortunately, it is all too easy to do ministry and to be involved in the work of the ministry. And that as a distraction takes us away from the word of God. And here's what I want us to see. We live in a very busy world, a very anxious world, a very stress-filled world where, where fear controls us. It's hard to relax, hard to spend quiet time, Okay. And that, that's what Mary's showing us. But let me, let me, just, let me just say this. And don't hate me for it. You may say, you know what? That's me. That's Mary. I love just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Identify with Mary. Well, maybe. Maybe you identify with Proverbs, as it says. As the door turns on his hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. 
The slogan buries his hand in the dish and wears it out and brings it back to his mouth. We're sitting at Jesus' feet, but we're not doing anything either. We're not responding to the gospel. Everyone else is carrying the load. Everybody else is, is volunteering. Everyone else is on the mission. Everybody else is making disciples and getting things done. But Mary's showing us what's first priority, what is necessary, is to sit at Jesus' feet the way Mary did and listen to what he says. He does not mean to add it. As a, Mary, as a Martha, I could say, all right, I got all this to do. Let me just add this to my already busy to-do list. I don't think that's what he's saying. The picture is Mary's devotion to Christ, specifically her, her commitment to his teaching. She loved the Lord. She loved his word. She understood that it was not about doing but receiving an opportunity for him to do something for her. When that's our first priority, it stops the Mary, excuse me, it stops the Martha's from, from using their gifts and their energies. And that kind of distracts us and we're filled with fear and anxiety or trouble and anxiety. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's the idolatrous heart where we're, 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 we're doing and, and, and we're doing it because we feel like we have to or we somehow get our identity stroke through it or maybe we care what other people think or maybe even that we're doing this in the back of our minds. Uh, we think we're earning the favor of God and we're not resting in the gospel, drinking in the communion union with Christ that he has made available through the cross. No work of us, the work of Jesus. That's possible. Here's the takeaway for us. First, be a Mary. In a world of, of stress, anxiety, worry, and fear, start by resting in the gospel, resting in the gospel, listening and being in communion with Christ through the cross, through the gospel. Then participate in the mission. Doing work and mission comes after resting, after being dependent upon him. To listen to Jesus as Mary's did is the best thing we can do before we live on mission. Doesn't mean just live in a secluded life. It doesn't mean to pit against the two great commandments we saw the other day. To love God or to love others. Listen, it's, it's, we, we actually serve our neighbors best when we're loving God. And we're actually loving God in part by serving our neighbor. We need the heart of Mary and the hands of Martha. We need the heart of Mary and the hands of Martha. But it must be done in that order. That's the point. Do you realize that Jesus Christ rose on the first day of the week, right? We gather on Sunday morning, that's why we're here, the first day of the week. It's the first day of the week that we come and we gather. We worship, we sing, we hear the word preached, we spend time with family, we commune with God's people. We're reminded every Sunday of the grace and the mercy and the love of God in the gospel. It's no longer on the Saturday, the last day of the week, but the first day of the week, because that's the pattern now. We find our rest in him, all that he has done in our place for, our, our, uh, for us as he died on the cross. And out of the rest of Christ, out of the gospel, we serve. First day of the week, rest. Rest of the week, work. Hebrews 4.12 gives us that gospel truth. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So what we're saying is we rest from our works and enter into God's rest when we trust Christ. That is, we, that, that's the message of the gospel. We, we no longer have to live and try to live up and try to earn our righteousness before God. It's Christ's perfect life, his perfect righteousness imputed to us, counted to us by faith. And we rest in the finished work of Christ, his righteousness. 
He is our Sabbath rest, Jesus. Not a place, it's not a, but a person. When God finished the cosmos, he rested. When Christ finished the work of salvation, he cried out, why? It is finished. Forever the atoning work of Christ. When we believe, we, when we, believe we are finished with our works-based righteousness and enter into God's rest through the gospel, the message of Christ, the accomplishment of Christ, and we find our finished find his finished work sufficient for us, doesn't mean you just kick back. It means that out of the rest of the gospel, out of sitting at his feet and drinking in the truth of his love and his grace and his mercy, we step out on mission. That's the point. It is good and right to serve Jesus like Martha did, but it must come from a devotion and love for Jesus. We must begin by being with him, spending time with him, getting to know him. He wants to give us our, ourselves to him because he gave himself for us. He is the good portion. We begin by drinking in the truths of the gospel, the unmerited love of God. The biggie on the eye chart. Don't be distracted and concerned about, don't be distracted and concerned about doing good that you neglect what is most important, namely to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear the word of God. Right? Philip Ryken, this is a great quote. The gospel is the cure for our distractions as we are drawn to the beauty of grace. His peace is the cure for anxiety as we trust him through the worries of life. His love is the cure for our self-pity as we forget ourselves in serving others for his sake. His mercy is the cure for our resentment as we offer others the same forgiveness that Jesus has given us. This is the good portion that God offers to Mary's and Martha's everywhere. Jesus himself, in all his grace, what we gain in knowing Jesus cannot be taken away from us any more than Martha could take away Mary's golden opportunity to sit at the master's feet, end quote. That's a great quote. I'm going to invite the band up and I want to ask you a question. Maybe this is our response today. Are we doing the work of mission, the work of the ministry, out of the fullness of Christ? Or are we trying to do and to work in order to gain forgiveness, in order to receive acceptance, in order to be loved of God? That's the case. That's religion and it will kill you. The gospel is Christ did the work. On our behalf. Live that perfect life on our behalf. He took the punishment of our sin on our behalf. He died in our place. And took all that we deserve upon himself. And out of that rest. In knowing our sins are forgiven. His righteousness imputed to us. We get up and we serve. We love others. We live on mission. Demonstrating and declaring the gospel. We do that as we sit at Jesus' feet, we serve. Have you ever heard the book, um, uh, Practicing the Presence of God, Brother Lawrence? Practice the presence of God in all of life. He said this, do everything for the love of God and with prayer. He, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen. While several persons are at the same time, he worked in a monastery, same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees, end quote. In other words, I am forever in the presence of God, drinking in the truths of the gospel as I look to serve others 
and declare and demonstrate the gospel. That's what Martha and Mary's teaching us. And the question is, will we go in that pattern? I hope you will. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for our time. We thank you for these sweet ladies that you have recorded for us so that we can learn. What's best and what's needed is to drink in the gospel, to listen to you, to read your word, to study your word, to memorize your word. There we encounter you in a great and powerful way. And yet, Father, we are also called by that same grace to go out in your presence and in your power, loving others, demonstrating the gospel by loving them, caring for them in generosity, in kindness, in mercy, so that, God, we can build bridges so that we can share with them the good news, not advice, but the news of what has happened, what has been done for them. Christ Jesus the Lord, crucified on behalf of sinners, risen from the dead, calling everyone everywhere, all nations, tongues, and tribes, to turn from their sins and to trust him. Help us, Lord, to be that kind of church, sitting at your feet, living on mission, for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.